Blog Talk Radio. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. What's wrong with you? My first thought would be alive. Time to get ready, show. Whatever he is, he destroys you. Daniel Well, this is too funny because every, every week for the past like three weeks, I, I get on Blog Talk Radio and I make sure that it's the current open to start off the show. And so for some reason, somewhere in in, in the the computer brain that is blog talk radio they they're just they're they're feeling a bit retro so they keep going back to the original open of the show so go figure but you've tuned into the ken reedy show the best in pro wrestling talk again got a taste of the little little bit of the retro opening uh the original opening of the show but we're here to talk some wrestling thank you all for tuning in three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call a little later on we have uh, WWE uh, legend uh, Mario Mancini is going to be giving us a, a buzz later on, talking about uh, his his induction into uh, the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, coming up this this weekend. So we're going to be talking to him a little bit later on. Go over, check us out on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash The Ken Reedy Show. You go over there, you can get in on the the show chat while the show is going on. Also tonight. We'll have a raw chat going on the Facebook page, so be sure to check that out. Our Twitter handle, at The Ken Reedy Show. Got to check that out. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And you can always go to the website, thekenreedyshow.com. Got a lot to get into, a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes in pro wrestling. We're going to try and make sense of everything and to help me, of course, make sense of all that's going on in the world of pro wrestling. My tag team partner, Dave, how are you doing this evening? I am the sense maker, and I'm here to make sense of things, so let's do this. From state to state, I'm never late for another edition of the Ken Reedy Show. It's interesting because as the show was was beginning, uh, I got a, an alert. Uh, perhaps that makes me a mark, but I get the, the phone alerts when there's, there's WWE news and announced that the authority will dra- address the WWE roster tonight on Raw, so... The whole roster to be addressed by the authority uh, tonight. Who knows what that's about? Uh, is it going to be something where they mix uh, real life and, and storyline? Who knows? Because when I hear they're addressing the roster, the roster just recently got a big-time shakeup. A lot of releases. You know, Dave, a lot of releases. Most of them, I mean, look, preface everything by saying, don't want to see anyone lose their job, want to see everyone keep their job, want to see everyone remain employed. So, you know, preface that, you know, I, I'm sorry that everyone got fired. However, most of the people that got released, fairly inconsequential. Um, you know, they weren't using most of the people on there. I guess, number one, for me at least, the most surprising two-thirds of 3MB because right now they actually are – involved in a storyline yeah the the drew mcintyre i mean you're right a lot of the individuals that were released 
weren't being used. I can't remember the last time I saw Teddy Long on TV, but the story is that his contract was expiring, so they, you know, fairly soon, within the next week or so, so they just decided to, you know, to, to cut ties with him and not renew his deal. Um, Kurt Hawkins, Camacho, Evan Bourne hadn't been on the main roster in over two years. Uh, you know, those guys, you hadn't seen much of them on TV. JTG, I can't remember the last time I saw him on TV, you know, former Crime Time member. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, it was surprising because 3MB, you know, for what it's worth, they had a storyline on TV. Sometimes it was entertaining and sometimes it was god-awful. But the, to me, the biggest, you know, uh, release that took place was probably Drew McIntyre. I would say you know, him and Brodus Clay, because those two probably had the most potential out of everybody that got released that they could have done something and had, you know, a serious run with those, with those guys, you know, respectively. But yeah, it was, uh, it was quite interesting because I can't remember the last time that they had releases like that, you know, a lot of individuals uh, being let go on the same day. I remember back in 2005, they had like 20 something guys on the roster get let go and TNA picked up quite a, you know, quite a bit of them. So, uh, it's been a while since WWE has done something like that, considering recently they have stated that they just let contracts expire and they don't renew deals. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting when you look at it because you do wonder, number one, and it's a shame because, you know, a lot of, a lot of fans out there, and, I, and I'm not one of them, but a lot of fans get on TNA, oh, they're just taking WWE retreads. It, you know, look, a lot of the stuff they've done creatively have not, have not worked, has not worked as of late. Um. But if they think they can do something with someone, I, I mean, I, to me, you sign talent. I, I never understood that rationale, like, why are they getting retreads? You, you, you sign talent. You know, if, you know, look at, at sports. If, if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Peyton Manning is all of a sudden available, Denver picks him up. You know, Denver's not looking, oh, we don't want another Indianapolis retread. You know, you, talent's talent. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that were released, Again, like I said, not really, uh, you know, mainstay guys, not guys that you're, you're going to turn on Raw tonight and be like, oh, you know, I can't believe Oksana's not going to be on tonight. And, you know, it, it's, you know, it's kind of like Deadwood. And, uh, you know, is this just WWE cleaning house? Is this a result of the, uh, the, the stock issues we're hearing and the WWE losing money? Is it a cost-cutting measure? You know, who knows? You hear all sorts of things out there. For me, Dave, I got to say, you know, you're right. I, I think the two biggest ones are, are Brodus Clay and Drew McIntyre. Not so much for what they were doing, but for what the potential was for them. Um, you know, Brodus Clay could have been a guy, you know, he could have been a monster. He could have been out of the uh, the mold of a, uh, a Vader or, a, you know, or Mark Henry, you know, that type of guy. Uh, once they went to the, the Funkasaurus, uh, to me, his, his time was, was limited. But, you know, a guy that felt like they could have done more with him and they kind of missed the boat. And, they, and to me, really missed the boat with Drew McIntyre. Uh, I always saw Drew had a lot of potential. Um, you know, and, and look, it could have been Drew. It could have been, you know, maybe he didn't realize his potential. Maybe they did everything behind the scenes for Drew and it just never, he never realized his potential. But, I always saw him, like, always thought he had a good look, you know, could get better, but still could talk a little bit. Um, you know, I, I just saw a lot of potential out of this kid that, uh, 
just seemed to be uh, wasted. So I, I think out of the two of them, I think the two of them definitely are the guys that I would have seen to to have some potential and maybe could have been valuable going forward. Uh, but Drew McIntyre, when I first saw him, Dave, I, I was looking at him as like really having uh, star quality. Uh, was not to be seen with Drew McIntyre. Well, in the beginning, when when he was first introduced, uh, you know, on, on WWE television, if some of you might not remember this, but he had a brief run on WWE television uh, back in, uh, I believe, 2006. Uh, he kind of had like a Braveheart kind of gimmick, and it was very brief. It was like a couple of weeks on TV. He was on SmackDown. It was during the brand extension still. I think he was tagging up with Regal maybe or Dave Taylor, one of those guys. But it was very short-lived, um, only a couple episodes of SmackDown. And then they brought him back down to developmental. And when they brought him up to the main roster, they, they were making him out to be a big deal. When you had Vince McMahon come out and endorse you as the chosen one and – he had solid storylines from the time that he was on TV till, you know, from I'd say 2000, pretty much all 2010. Um, if you want to, if you want to, you know, really delve into it, he was he was the chosen one by Vince McMahon on TV. He had a long run with the Intercontinental Title. He had a pretty good storyline with Matt Hardy, with you know, even with Teddy Long, some great matches with Kofi Kingston. He was drawing some heat because of his association of abusing Vince McMahon's power. And then, for whatever reason, they just stopped using him. I thought for sure he'd be on, uh, you know, the following year's WrestleMania. He was put in a dark match battle royal, and they really kind of floundered with him, didn't do a whole lot with him, and then they, they decided to, you know, do the 3MB gimmick, from which I've read, the, you know, those three individuals were doing nothing, respectively, on their own on the main roster, and they went to the company and said, we got this great idea, and the company ran with it. And they were, you know... I hate to coin the term, but they were pretty much jobbers with gimmicks. You know, some people, you know, that I've read have said that. And I think it's true. They, they, they pretty much, you know, put guys over and helped make guys look good, and they were the comic relief of the show. McIntyre had a lot more, I think, personally. And if, if they were eventually going to split up 3MB, I was hoping that McIntyre was going to go back to a more serious character. And you're right about Brodus Clay. Brodus Clay... He, you know, he had the potential to be along the likes of a Vader, uh, uh, Mark Henry, even a one-man gang. He would have been one of those next big monsters to usher in when guys like Kane and Big Show and Mark Henry can no longer do it anymore. He would, I thought he was going to be one of those guys eventually. Uh, so it, it was sad to see both of them go. Um, but that means that, you know, yes, guys like TNA could pick them up. This Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling might pick them up as well. Who knows? But this is an opportunity for them to now – really show the talents that they weren't allowed to show in WWE on another stage, on another level. And, you know, you make a point about TNA retreads. There's some WWE, you know, talent that went to TNA that didn't really get a, get a good start in WWE. One of them in particular is Matt Morgan. Matt Morgan was, you know, looked at as a potential big man in WWE. And for whatever reason, they dropped the ball with him. When he went to TNA, they made the right moves with him. Why they didn't keep them, I don't know. But I, 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 I see your point. Talent's talent. You sign them because you're trying to enhance your product. And I think some of these guys will go to TNA, and I think some of these guys will just stay on the indie scene or maybe go to Jarrett's group. Who knows? But I'm, I'm actually interested in seeing uh, where some of these talents go. Yeah, and, and you, bring, you know, it's interesting now with the indie scene. I mean, once you get a name for yourself on TV, I mean – 
the, the indie scene is rich out there. And, you know, it's not like you got to travel, but, you know, when you're with the WWE, you're traveling a lot anyway, you know. A lot of these guys, they get out in the indie scene. You can make your own schedule. You, you name your price. So we might see a number of these guys uh, out on, on the indie scene. Uh, you know, a couple of the other guys released, I mean, Kurt Hawkins, as I referenced, Oksana. Evan Bourne, a guy, you know, very exciting competitor, but a guy, you know, it sucks, but just really couldn't stay healthy. Um, But he's a guy that, you know, as an indie promoter, I would think you'd love to have a guy like Evan Bourne come in. He's got a name. Uh, he brings that, that name value. You know, not a household name necessarily, but if you're a wrestling fan, you know who Evan Bourne is. And a guy who can who can work, if he can get himself healthy, a guy that can put on some real exciting matches on the indie scene. What do you think, Dave? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's got a history, you know, he, he went under the name Matt Seidel in Ring of Honor. So, I mean, he could easily go back to Ring of Honor and the exciting matches he could put on there with guys like Kevin Steen and AJ Styles and Chris Hero and, you know, Jay Lethal and all those names. Evan Bourne would be a great fit in there. He would be a great fit in TNA if you brought him into the X Division. Uh, so he's got a future. Those three guys in particular, I think, are the ones that are really going to shine. But you could be surprised. I mean, Kurt Hawkins is a hell of a talent. I mean, he wouldn't have been, you know, put under the guidance of Edge when he was the Edge head with Zack Ryder if he didn't have talent. And I personally think that he might excel on his own as well. He's, he's a very, you know, reliable hand in the ring. They brought him down to NXT to work with a few guys, and he was very popular down there. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for these for these individuals. And like you said, the talent in the indie scene, the, the, the talent pool is pretty deep these days. And a lot of people, you know, say that, Indie wrestling might have the best wrestlers out there right now. That you might find better wrestlers on the indie scene than you'll find on television. And that could be the case. Um, but time will tell where all these individuals go. Who knows? Some of these guys could end up going back to WWE in a few years. It's been done before. So I don't think any of these guys' careers are over anytime soon. And I think that they'll all do well on their own going forward. Well, you know, it's funny. And I'm curious. You're, did, were any of these releases shocking to you did you think like were you i mean it, it it was a bunch like you know one felt swoop um you know not i mean some of these guys it was funny you know not to, not to be mean but like you know when you hear yoshi tatsu is like oh wow he was actually still employed um you know and, and somehow like jtg you know skated under the radar for a while and was able to maintain his employment with the wwe um but none of these guys really shocked me um, you know, the biggest, you know, looking at Teddy Long getting released, I mean, a guy who is, you know, a big staple on TV for, for a chunk of time. His shtick got old, definitely, and he was pulled from TV, but, uh, you know, a guy who was, you know, a household name, a, a big part of the, the TV product for a while. Um, but again, like you said, not on TV for a while. I, you know, any of these guys really shock you, Dave? Uh, there wasn't. So much shock as, as for, for any of them individually is that they were shocked that it happened, you know, just out of nowhere. Because, uh, like I said, they haven't done anything like that in quite a while where they've just let, a, 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 you know, a handful of talents go all at once. Um, you know, it's, it's a good point you bring up about Teddy Long because I would have liked to have seen, I mean, you're right, his stick did get old with the general manager gimmick, but I wouldn't have mind seeing him go back to managing or maybe even put him in the, as, as a color commentator. 
I think he still could have been useful, but maybe he wanted to move on and he didn't want to be involved in the business anymore on a full-time basis. So, you know, kudos to him. Um, but, no, I didn't find any shock individually with these releases, but more so that it happened all at once. And I think it's part of a cost-cutting move. Uh, I think it's in result to the, to the stock drop recently. And, uh, you know, I was just reading before we went on the air that apparently WWE is looking to, uh, you know, you know, budget, you know, cut $20 million out of their budget this year in 2014, you know, with their production as well. NXT is going to take a production cut. They might even let go of some NXT guys. Um, if you've noticed, Barrett doesn't come out to that big podium that he used to come out to with the, with the Bad News Barrett thing anymore. It, they said that the, the truck that houses the, the production, you know, items like that and Fandango's gold entrance, that costs 250 grand a year just for that truck to, you know, to, to be operating, to have all that, that production stuff in there. So, and of course, to probably pay a driver as well. So I think this mainly was a cost-cutting move to, to offset the, 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 the drop in stock, the unsuccessful, uh, you know, subscribers to the WWE Network, even though, they're a little over 700,000 currently right now. I think that this was done, you know, to save some money. And it's a business. You have to do it sometimes. Yeah, you bring up a real good point with Teddy Long. You know, and, and, and as you said it, like I, I was always expecting Teddy Long to be repackaged in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether it was commentating or managing or uh you know, something else. I, I just, I, I, you know, the guy, it, it's funny with him because I always liked Teddy Long. And I always thought he brought something to the table. You know, I thought he was a, he was a good talker. It just, like, you know, we, and we both said it, it, it his, his thing just got old. It became the same thing every week. I mean, and, you know, I mean, in all honesty, how many SmackDowns could you open up with, you know, one person talking, then someone else comes down, then someone else comes down, and then yet a fourth person comes down. And as the four people are arguing, holla, 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 we're going to have a tag match. <laughs> you know? It was like a, a weekly tradition every week. It was just, all right, when are the, when's the fourth person going to get down to the ring to engage in this verbal battle just so Teddy Long could come out and, and make a tag team match? Uh, you know, so I mean, but I, you know, it's funny, Dave, like as much as they went in that direction with the character, and that's kind of what led it, for me at least, to, to become stale, he's still all in all. I, I mean, sometimes you got to look at someone's character and look at the whole run. All in all, very solid as, as a GM character. Well, yeah, I mean, they've gone through so many general managers, both Raw and SmackDown respectively, it's, it, it's been ridiculous, you know, Stephanie McMahon, Bischoff, Paul Heyman, Mike Adamley was the general manager of Raw at one time. And Long, Long seemed to have the, the, you know, no pun intended, longest run as a, a general manager or in, in an administrative character role. I mean, he lost to Laurinaitis. I mean, Laurinaitis was a GM at one time, too. So Long was always consistent in having an administrative role, whether he was somebody's assistant or whether he was the boss whether he was, you know, taking orders from Vicky Guerrero or Booker T or if he was giving out the orders. So they kept him in the spotlight. Yes, that shtick did get old. I will I agree with you again on it. But um, he, he had the most successful and longest run of, of, a, of a television figure in quite a while, 2000, almost 10 years. He had, a, he had a role as like an administrative character on WWE TV. 
Yeah, which, you know, definitely an impressive run, you know. Uh, and he's a guy, you know, when we talk about the indie scene, you know, he fits right in if he wants to go out there. I mean, how many independent promotions don't want to bring, you know, a guy like him in as your, your special guest GM? I mean, even just in the area, you know, PWS, whenever they do a show, you know, they bring in a legend to do a, a guest GMing. I mean, Teddy Long is just perfect to kind of fit in uh, in that role. So who knows remains to be seen. Who knows, like, where we're going to see uh, these guys you know, out and about, you know, do they wind up coming back to the WWE? What I find interesting is, you know, going into tonight's Monday Night Raw, you know, in the climate right now where all these releases have taken place, I do find it interesting that we we hear the authority is going to address the roster. Um, You know, and as I, when we opened the show, uh, talking about how, you know, this was quite a roster shakeup, it would be interesting, and this is purely speculating on my part, uh, do they kind of use the releases and does the authority come out to, to further their characters as just evil bosses that, uh, you know, they come out and say, you know, we, we got rid of uh, some dead wood and don't, don't you guys think that anyone's safe because we might be firing some more. I, I just found it intriguing, Dave, when I heard that the authority will be addressing the roster. That is interesting, and it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to enhance the, the evilness in their characters by bringing up these, you know, these these real life, you know, talent releases that took place. Uh, you know, as of last week, uh, you know, on WWE television, uh, Dolph Ziggler had been very outspoken about the Authority and, and the Seth Rollins situation, which we'll get into a little bit later. So I wouldn't be surprised if Dolph is involved in a verbal spat with the Authority. Uh, there had been rumors that him and Miz were going to form a tag team shortly after WrestleMania and be kind of disgruntled employees. We've seen Damian Sandow practically get buried with a backhoe, you know, into the ground. His career hasn't really ta- his career's been buried since he lost the Money in the Bank contract. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he had some involvement in, uh, in that, you know, roster, you know, issue that the authorities going to address at the start of a Monday Night Raw tonight. So, um, and here's the other thing, too. This could also be them addressing the roster that they are appointing a new general manager because Brad Maddox, the character, was fired, uh, you know, a few weeks ago for something involving the Shield. So uh, it would not surprise me in the least bit if they brought the roster out only to announce a new general manager. Now, we could always speculate who the new general manager is going to be, but there are rumors that Ric Flair had passed his physical with WWE doctors and that he is ready to return to the road full-time and have a character role on TV. He'll not wrestle. So maybe they will. this is how they will introduce the Ric Flair character as the new general manager of Monday Night Raw, which could breathe some life into, the, in, into Ric Flair and add some juice to the show, but that's just only speculation on my part. Yeah, and speculating on that, I mean, it's interesting. To, to me... You know, Ric Flair being on the show is, is a good thing, uh, as we, we speculate and hear. And, and every, you know, everything you hear around it, we take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, usually where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, but where do they go with that? You know, if he comes back as a GM character or a manager, whatever way they decide to go with it, um, I would be intrigued on how exactly they address the relationship between Flair and Hunter, uh, recalling that Flair turned his back on Evolution. 
and uh, embrace the shield, uh, does Flair come back uh, as an adversarial role to, to uh, the authority? Uh, do they kind of glaze over that? Do we have a, a moment where uh, Triple H and Flair uh, apologize? Do they say this was all part of the plan? It was all a ruse? Um, I'd be curious to see if, Flair, if the Ric Flair character is back on TV uh, you know, Dave, what do you think like, they're going to do as far as his relationship with the authority? I think it will be addressed in some form or fashion. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as – I wouldn't disagree with that. I won't go as far as to say that he turned his back on evolution. He just embraced and endorsed the Shield as being, you know, major players. That's how I took it. Um, you know, some people may feel differently as you do, but they, they will probably address that. It wouldn't surprise me maybe if bringing the Flair character back and Hunter kind of – bringing him in and saying, well, I'm going to make you the general manager of Monday Night Raw, and then he has, you know, Hunter has a bunch of guys attack Flair and turn on him, and then that's where, you know, Flair could come out and say, you know, screw retirement, I want a match with you, but by his WWE contract, he can no longer wrestle in WWE because of his loss to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania a few years ago. That's where you slot in somebody who's going to defend Flair, and that person eventually Flair would be managing. The rumor is it's going to be the Miz. Is that Flair and Miz are going to be working together? Flair gets no! suggested to work with them. I, I know. Trust me, I, I'm crying on the inside too. Um, I guess allegedly the dirt sheets have been saying that Flair's suggested to work with Dolph Ziggler, but they told. Flair that they're not doing anything with Dolph Ziggler. I guess Flair likes Ziggler a lot and feels he has a lot of potential, as most people do, but the the, the general consensus that Flair's character will be brought back to TV in what capacity, I don't know, but the, the leading candidate is to have him paired up with Miz, so um, we'll see how that goes, but this could all not take place tonight, and we could, you know, see this happen in a few weeks or whatever, but like I said, it's just only speculation on my part. That's the fun of it. You know, that's the fun. We do the show. We speculate. We guess, you know, and then uh, we find out if we're right or wrong once once the show airs. But, you know, when you bring a guy like Ric Flair back into the mix, uh, it's fun to speculate exactly uh, what they're going to do with him. And, look, I, I just, I yeah, I don't like Miz. Uh, you know, made no secret of that over the years. Um, but if I'm going to try to pull back and be uh, – a, an unbiased host, be a bit professional as a host of this show. Um, yeah, it would be good for Miz. Um, it's a good rub for Miz. I, I would say this, uh, you know, in all seriousness, if they decide to go in this direction, again, speculating here, spitballing, predicting, who knows. But if Ric Flair decides to manage the Miz, and that's the direction they're going to go in, for the love of God, if Miz is listening, if anyone who knows Miz is listening and can call Miz, Miz needs to practice the figure four leg lock a minimum <laughs> of a thousand times a day until he gets it perfect. If you're going to bring Ric Flair into the mix and manage this guy and he shits on the figure four leg lock every time he does it. It's it's just horrible. It it just it, it reeks of, of disrespect and, and, and you know just not honoring what who Ric Flair is. And you, you know what? 
and I'm sure you've done it too, Dave. You know, there's a million wrestling fans out there that have slapped the figure four leg lock on at least one person in their life. And you know what? I respect the hell out of the business and the guys who, who do what they do in that squared circle. It's amazing. It's something that I could never do. However, I can slap on a figure four leg lock better than The Miz does. And that should not be the case. So if they go in this direction, for the love of God, Miz, just just get well-versed with putting on the figure four leg lock. Because that, Dave, that really, you know, it's cool, and I think it's a great hold. I, I, you know, I wish the figure four was used more often. Um, but when Miz was using it, oh, my God, it was just awful. I practiced the figure four on my younger brothers when I was a kid, and I did it watching a Ric Flair match on videotape. So I, I definitely have mastered the figure four. I could probably do it now. I haven't done it in, you know, a decade. So I could probably do it better than Miz. But, yeah, he definitely needs to learn how to do that move better in order for him to be aligned with Ric Flair. I agree with you there, 100%. I remember when I was a kid, and uh, I don't remember who was, because I was a WWE kid, and I'm trying to remember who I learned the figure four from watching. It may have been Tito. Va- Va- Valentine? Um, he did it, too. Yeah, maybe it was Valentine. Tito used it, too, correct? I don't remember. I know Valentine. I know that was one of Valentine's signature moves. I remember, because I watched WWE at first, before I ever watched, you know, NWA wrestling, and... When I first time I saw Ric Flair, I said, oh, he's using Greg the Hammer Valentine's. Because <laughs> that's what I was known to watch, you know, used to watching at first. So, But, yeah, I think I've seen Tito use it before. I don't know if it was a part of his repertoire because he used to fly around a lot. But I think I've seen him use it before. Maybe, in his Maybe he used Valentine. it on Valentine because, you know, Valentine and him had that program around the IC title. But I remember knowing it and my dad. Uh, being, you know, we were talking wrestling, and, you know, my dad being the dismissive adult about wrestling, and, uh, you know, I just kind of, well, let me, let me put a hold on you, and uh, my dad's like, fine, you know, put put a hold, and I so I slapped the figure for a leg lock on him, and, you know, it's like, you know, one of those things, like, it, it's a natural order of things in life where a son eventually wants to, uh, you know, grow up and, and you know, take over the, the father, you know, like Lion King, you know, eventually you want to... You want to run the, the pack, and so so my dad, like, I slapped the figure four leg lock on, and, you know, my dad thinking, uh, whatever, no big deal, and it, my dad was in pain, <laughs> and my dad's screaming to get it off, and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was awesome that it was actually, and so I kept pulling back on the leg, and my mom is cracking Ooh. up, my dad telling me to, to get it off, and that, uh, yeah, and it was still better than the Miz. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. You guys have been real patient. Got a bunch of you on hold. We're gonna get to you guys after the break. You know what? So many things going on. You want to talk about the release, the releases. You want to talk about the state of the WWE Championship. Uh, anything you guys want to bring to the table. All I say is when you call and we put you on, just bring it. So we're gonna get to you right after the break. But now it is time for. The Day 5 50, 50 News Report. Thank you very much, you very Ken. Much. This Day 5 News Report has been brought to you by Ken putting the figure four on his father years ago. <laughs> this is the only <laughs> Day 5 News Report you will hear at the top at the of the hour every Monday night. Monday night. Our top Our story this week. Since the 2014 WWE Hall of Fame ceremony this past April, a slew of names 
had been dropped to be inducted into the 2015 WWE Hall of Fame class in Santa Clara, California next year during WrestleMania 31 week. Names such as Mickey James, Rikishi, Big Sexy, Kevin Nash, and The Rock have all been rumored for enshrinement. But one name that has been long overdue could finally take his place among them. The late Macho Man, Randy Savage, who was who most wrestling fans feel has been snubbed by WWE as of late, is rumored to be joining this class after several years without an induction. It's being reported that WWE is producing a DVD documentary on the life and career of Randy Savage with the help of his brother, former WWE star Leaping Lanny Poppo. Poppo has been very outspoken about a Savage induction unless he and his late father Angelo Poppo were involved in the induction. Lanny was an invited guest by WWE to WrestleMania 30 weekend in New Orleans this past April, and some speculate that talks could have materialized that weekend. No date has been announced for the release of the DVD documentary on Randy Savage at this time. And our second story this week, TNA Wrestling and current TNA Tag Team title holder, American Wolves member Davey Richards, seems to have been on a talent raid as of late, according to the Wrestling Observer. Allegedly, Richards, on behalf of TNA, reached out to several Ring of Honor contracted talents about a possible future in TNA. Sources at the Wrestling Observer say Richards allegedly went rogue in his scouting efforts, but reports suggest from other sources that TNA officials were a big part in this scouting process. Names such as tag team champions Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly and former TNA star Jay Lethal were the ones in particular that TNA and Richards reached out to. All three men allegedly turned down deals as they are signed to Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor is apparently trying to secure Talent's contract to avoid this matter from happening again. If things couldn't get any worse for TNA, the fact that TNA drew very bad attendance at their recent baseball stadium shows, one in Maryland in particular, drew around 300 people, has Talent worried about their futures causing low morale. The lack of a television deal and the fact that the Carter family is not putting new money into the company as many talent seeking other options, such as Ring of Honor or Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. There's also concern that with few details of Global Force Wrestling being made public, that it may not be a viable option at this time if a television deal has not been discussed with it being so close to fall TV programming being announced. Last week's WWE Network show, Legends House, the season finale, has had fans talking, especially in regards to Pat Patterson's announcement that he is gay. The show was taped back in the spring of 2012, and at the time, the idea of Patterson's announcement was to be used to promote the show to other networks, such as E-Entertainment or Sci-Fi, before plans changed with the network launch. It's now being said that the announcement from Patterson was done to garner mainstream media press, for WWE and their network. TMZ.com was the only media source to pick up the story, but the announcement failed to garner the attention WWE had hoped for. In most wrestling circles, it's been public knowledge for decades that Pat Patterson has been openly gay, but never made the announcement a big deal. And our final story this week. It's being reported this past week that WWE and Vincent McMahon, in particular, automatically renewed the contract of one Rey Mysterio, who has been out of action with a hand injury since WrestleMania. All standard WWE contracts are written with a clause that says they can extend the contract based on talents not performing for an extended period due to injury. 
it's being said that this could play out in similar fashion with one CM Punk when his current deal expires in July. The main advantage for WWE keeping Punk signed means he couldn't work for other promotions such as TNA, Ring of Honor, or the upstart Global Force Wrestling. And there you have it, folks. That was the Day 5 News Report. If you didn't put your father in the figure four leg lock, then you heard the top five stories this week only here on the Ken Reedy Show. Ken, back to you. Lots of really interesting stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling. Lots of great news stories. It's just crazy right now, all the stuff going on. We're going to dissect all that. I want you guys, you guys on hold, being really patient. So hang out there. We're going to get to you in a little bit. But right now, we do have on the line Mario Mancini is with us. Mr. Mancini, how are you doing this evening? Good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for uh, spending a little bit of time with us. So I guess congratulations are in order going into uh, the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame this weekend. Uh, yeah, very excited. I thank you very much. Um, I never thought something like this would happen to Mario Mancini, but uh, I'm very, I'm very humble, very thankful to Joe Bruin and the uh, New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. You know, I was looking at the the website. Uh, quite a number of, of big names on, on the card, uh, including yourself. Uh, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about what the, uh, the weekend's going to be like. Well, I'll tell you, um, last year was my first one that I, I ever did. I really never did them. Uh, I never wanted to do them, but, uh, Joe Bruin convinced me to do it. And, you know, I had a blast and I'm looking forward to having even more fun this year. Last year, I just did the um, the Fan Fest from 9 to 4 and just went home. This year, I have a VIP dinner on Friday night, and um, I'm a super ticket guest this year. And um, I'll be there from 8 to 4, and then I believe there's a question and answer form with Howard Finkel from uh, 4 to 5, and then uh, we get ready for the Hall of Fame Saturday night from 6 to 9.30. So, it's uh it's a full weekend i'll i'll need that that sunday uh for the couch it's really special <laughs> for me because um it's my 48th birthday on uh saturday and ironically um you know on august 9th 1984 my second professional match i got my nose broken in two places by uh david schultz and it was in the west Warwick, rhode island uh music theater and um you know, it's just kind of ironic and uh, sweet that I would go back to the same town 30 years later to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, that, that's great. You know, tell us a little, I mean, you have the interesting perspective of, you know, starting off in the wrestling business and, and you know, right around when it really just blew up. Tell us a little bit of just, you know, why wrestling? Like, what got you into pro wrestling and what it was like being in the WWF uh, when things were about to explode? Well, I tell you, that's a, that's a great question. And as I said on another talk show last, uh, last week, you, you got me on here for stories, so you're going to get one. Um, my brother, Ralph, uh, who's passed on, he's 13 years older than I am. And probably around 1972, when I was six years old, um, he brought me over to the TV. And it was just a little black and white set, 12-inch set in the bedroom. And he said, do you, do you see that guy there? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's Bruno Sammartino. That's the greatest champion that ever lived. And, um, you know, when I was growing up, you know, he would always be, he'd be in a corner of the kitchen, 
and he'd mm-hmm. be Bruno, or I'd, I'd be the big cat, or Lad, or Stan Hansen, or Stan Stasiak, and or Baron Von Roschka, and you know he'd pick me up in bear hugs and, and backbreakers. And I just became a huge wrestling fan. And by the time I was 14 years old, I was watching it at midnight with my family in the living room. And I, I just pointed to the TV and looked at everybody in the living room and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. And they said, do what? And I said, I'm, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. And they all just kind of laughed. And, um, you know, by the time I got my license, I, I really wanted to pursue it. And, and uh, my parents knew Tony Altamar. Uh, who ended up training me at Passerelle's Quest in 1983 in my senior year of high school. And uh, I followed him around to the Coliseum and to the Harvard Civic Center and the Madison Square Garden just on his, on his, uh, on his coattails going, you know, I want to be a wrestler, I want to be a wrestler. And he's like, I know your mom and dad go to college. I said, no, I really want to do this. So um, in October of 83, right after my senior year started, I started going to pro wrestling school. And um, I, I went from October to July of 84, and then July 31st, 1984, you know, I turned, I turned 18 June 21st, and then on July 31st, I was standing in the ring, you know, waiting for a red light to come on the camera when Howard Finkel announced it and, and Greg Valentine walking down the aisle. So, um, you know, I trained hard. Wrestling school is the hardest thing a human being would have to do. It, it is literally torture. Um and and only a certain few get through it. And, you know, I I went in and, and before I wrestled Greg, I went to go see Gorilla Monsoon, and he said, sign this contract. And I said, okay, and I signed it. And, um, you know, it was just the WWF. It was, it was mind-blowing because, you know, Bruno San Martino was an announcer, and he would come into the dressing room, and I would just freeze like a mark, you know, I'd, I'd freeze. I, I, I was a mark. I was, I just turned 18 and everybody was talking. I ate is this and via that and via that. I, I didn't know what they were talking about. And, um, I was just really, really green and, uh, Strongbow took me under his wing and, and protected me there. And, uh, and it, it was mind blowing. It, it really was. And I am just so fortunate that I was a wrestler in the time in that era, because, it, it turned out to be the most explosive, most popular time in pro wrestling history. You'll, you just, you'll never see it again. And it, it was just mind-blowing to see, you know, Cindy Lauper and her husband walking through the dressing room, sometimes when they shouldn't have been walking through the dressing room. <laughs> and you just see Tina Turner and Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo and Liberace and all these people. It, was just, it, it really was just overwhelming um, to be there eight months before WrestleMania one, and and actually, if you look at the Garden, the the month before WrestleMania, there was a a melee in the ring uh, between the main event to get things juiced up, and and there I am, all 18 years old of me with a, with my brother's great pinstripe three piece suit on, stretching it like hell with other wrestlers in the ring, breaking up a fight between Hogan and, and Piper and Mr. T and Cowboy Bob Orton, Paul Orndorff, and we were just in there breaking up a fight. So, um, you know, I, I, you know the, 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 one of the favorite stories people like to hear is, 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 you know, talking about being there. And the genesis of this whole thing is, is I had, you know, I, I had an Italian flag, colors, I had trunks of like the Italian flag. And his chic went nuts, you know. He he uh, he took a fit, 
you know, brought Pat Patterson over and said, look what Mancini's wearing, look what he's wearing. And Pat said, look, you can't, can't wear that. I'm like, it's the Italian flag, and Sheik is going, they're Italian colors. And I'm like, that's fine. And the next TV taping, taping I'm talking to Strongbow, and I see, I see a guy walk by with M&M on his trunks, you know, and I, I go, I elbow Chief, I go, Chief, who's, who's that bald guy with the hay hair that, like, he's got a bale of hay for hair? I said, he's got his initials on his trunks. How come I can't have mine? Who's that? And he said, uh, Randy Poffo. I go, who's Randy Poffo? And, um, you know, that man had every right to have M&M on his trunks. Uh and uh, Randy Savage, I could have only dreamed of being the athlete and the worker that he ended up being. Um, but, you know, just to, just to give you a little comedy about, you know, who was just walking in at that time. You know, I, I saw Bundy come out. It was Bundy's debut match. You know, I saw the Hart Foundation came in. The Jones and I were their debut match. Um you know, so I, I, I watched all these guys come in slowly. It was very small, very, very tiny in July of 84. Um, George Scott was the booker. God bless him. And my career would have took a, a really different kind of uh, turn if George Scott stayed. Um, but George Scott was the booker, and he, he slowly was bringing everybody in from territory he was in. Um, but they weren't there yet, and it was very small. You know, it, 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 Savage wasn't there, and, and Big John Studd wasn't there, and, you know, a lot of guys didn't get there yet. You know, it was, it was tiny. It was the Moondogs and the, the Wild Samoans and um, Tito Santana and Greg Valentine and Don Morocco and Snuka and Andre and Hogan and, you know, the, the Killer Bees weren't there yet. None, nobody liked that. Was Rick McGraw was there, you know, so it, it was really, it was really tiny, and uh, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And and I, you know, I, I tell everybody that I become close friends with, like a, I'll tell Mr. Trivia all the time. You know, I wish we could close our eyes and I could take you to the dressing room in 1985, just for you to sit in the corner and watch. You know, um, I, 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 even in the position that I was in, I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate because guys like me came and went. You know what I mean? And I had, I was there from 84 to 92, and I had the privilege of being like an S.D. Jones, being like a, a Johnny Rods or a Charlie Fulton or Iron Mike Sharp, and one of those steady guys that was on TV every week. There were, there were guys in my position that would come with their bag, and they'd never get dressed. You know, so I was, I was pretty fortunate. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing as, as you go through and, like, look at your career. I mean, you know, your opponents uh, reads like a, a who's who uh, as far as the, the history of, of pro wrestling. I mean, it's, there's so many guys I want to ask you about. But, you know, I'll ask you this. As I look at the list and I see a Mr. Perfect, a Rick Rude, uh, The Undertaker, um, were there any guys that really stood out to you that you just you knew they were going to be great or just you were like, wow, this guy is amazing? Well, a guy... Well, it was Randy Savage. I, I mean, I felt so bad. I, I felt so bad. Um, I was one of his first matches, and we were <laughs> we were in the dressing room, and um, he said, you know, I'm going to give you a slam and then um, go up and come down with that elbow. And 
I, I misunderstood him. <laughs> so when he went to the top rope, I stood up. And he came down with a double double hammer to my head, and I took a bump, and he, and he said, no, no, stay down, <laughs> you know. Uh, a guy like that, you, you know, uh, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. I, in a, I don't know if you are or you're not. When you work with a guy, you get into a rhythm, and you can feel what I call a pocket. You can feel a pocket. And, you know, when you're cinched for an arm drag or you're taking a hip toss, you know, you just hit that right pocket and everything is a flow and everything is good. And, and I worked with guys like that, like, like Savage. The one that stands out, two that stand out the most, is I did an eight-day tour with Bret Hart. And after the first night in Middletown, New York, we went about 14 minutes and I just sat in a corner and didn't even unlace my boots or anything. I just sat in a corner with my head lowered and I was, wasn't saying anything And Strongbow, Like I said, look, he was my second dad. And he, and he said, he kicked my boot and he goes, what's wrong with you kid? And I just looked at him and I said, I don't know how to work. I don't, I don't know how to wrestle. And he said, what are you talking about? You got talent. I go, no, I don't. No, I don't. That guy just handled my body all by himself. I did nothing in there. He did everything. He controlled me and everything that was done in there. I go, that guy over there just wrestled a broomstick. He just wrestled a broomstick. I said, he did everything. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And Bret Hart is probably the best wrestler I've, I've ever wrestled uh, in my life. And, and will always be the best wrestler I, I've ever wrestled in my life. And by, by the third or fourth night, you know, he would sit there and talk to me. And, you know, when you sit there and you talk to Bret Hart, and he's telling you how to do different things and the psychology of why you do different things. I mean, you, you just sit there nose to nose with the guy and just nod your head and take it all in, you know. And um, I, I was just very fortunate. Uh, and he liked me, and um, uh, you know most of them did, and and I was very fortunate. Um, there is there is a laundry list. Um, I mean, people ask me all the time who you wrestled, and I go, you, you, well, name them, name them, and they'll go Big John Studd, and I'll say, yeah, Bruce Beefcake, yeah, The Undertaker, yeah, it was a, I was his debut match. The Undertaker's new DVD is coming out of his career. And the first match on his DVD is The Undertaker versus Mario Mancini. <laughs> Where's my royalties then? <laughs> That's um, awesome. I'm curious. Like, did you did you feel greatness? I mean, it's interesting. Like, you actually wrestled Kane, The Undertaker, when he first debuted. Um, did you did you know? Did you feel like this guy is going to be a, an absolute all time great when you got in the ring with Taker? No, you you knew you knew you, you didn't think you you knew because I knew. Because at that time, at that point, I was around for six years. And, you know, like I said before, believe it or not, I started getting a little cocky. Because in 89, I took over the wrestling school and I started training guys. And I got a tremendous amount of respect in that dressing room. Where the point where a guy would come in with his bag, Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, or Strongbow would say, who are you? And they'd say who they were. And he'd say, who trained you? And when they said Mario Mancini... All three of them at any point would say, get dressed. Um, so, you know, when 
I met Mark, number one, um, you know, I'm just about six feet with the inch and a half wedge on my boat. I made sure I got an inch and a half wedge on my boat. So now I'm looking up at the sky, at this guy, and he's very soft-spoken, and he just said, when I grab your arm, keep your elbow locked. Do not unlock your elbow. And I said, okay, Mark, why? And he said, because I'm going to walk the top rope. I, and I'm looking at six foot nine, and I'm going, you are going to walk the top rope. Yeah. I said, okay. Um, you don't have to worry. It'll be locked. Um, I said, is there anything in particular you'd like to do? He goes, well, I like to clothesline you over the top rope. And uh, believe it or not, of all the jobs I've ever done, I've never done that. I was kind of nervous about it. If you watch the match on YouTube, you'll actually see me pull down the top rope below my waist and look behind me to make sure there's nothing there. That's how nervous I was about that. But when I took the clothesline, I went over very well. Um, you know, I knew when I before I got into the ring with him, I said, this guy, oh, this guy was going to be another Hogan. Um, you know, to me, he became bigger than Hogan. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I knew, I knew, I knew Savage. Um, you know, I didn't know about Brett. I didn't because when Brett first came in, he came in alone, and um, his personality really wasn't up there yet. And he would, he was kind of, he was kind of shy. Um, he and a, a Steamboat had a slow start too. Um, they had a, a kind of a hard time taking the steamboat. But, you know, of course, in the end, Brett became one of the most popular wrestlers that, that was ever in the game. And, and you know, so did Steamboat. Steamboat and Savage, as everybody knows, everyone knows, had the greatest match in professional wrestling history. So, um, you know, I was very happy I was around for these guys. I'm curious, you know, as as we talk about these, and again, it, it's a it's a very impressive list that the guys you've been in the ring with, you know, you're a big part of that era. Uh, curious, number one, do you watch today and today's product, and if so, like, what are your thoughts as far as the talent level uh, in your era and the talent level we see on TV today? Very seldom do I watch wrestling. Very, very seldom. Um, one. I, I remember, I remember going out there, and uh, I was working with Leap and Lanny Papo in like Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and um, I had to be a heel. And um, I went out there, and I gave them a low blow, and I gave them the finger. I gave the crowd the finger like three times, and I went back into the. And I wasn't a heel a lot of the times back at that point. So, and I didn't know the psychology of a heel yet back at that point. So I go back into the dressing room and Strongbow goes, you're minus a hundred bucks. I said, for what? What did I do? I was here on time tonight. And he's like, you, you got cheap heat. Anybody can do that. Anybody can hit somebody below the belt and every, anybody can flip the finger. That's cheap heat. You're fine. So I was flipping through the channels like in 92, 93, and I see this bald guy in the corner flipping everybody the finger and, you know, spilling there all over himself. And I, I called Strongbow at home, and um, he, I said, hey, Chief, give me 100 bucks. <laughs> um, 
So, so, and I never got the hundred, by the way. And I, I watch a little of it today. That's not pro wrestling, gentlemen, at all. It's not even close. That's not professional wrestling. Um, and I'll take. Uh, I will give Bret Hart credit, but I will take his quote. Today's wrestlers are better athletes, but they're not better wrestlers. By far. I don't see any kind of mechanics in there. I don't see any Greco-Roman. I don't see – I see a bunch of high-flying spots um, that were created in a wrestling school, and they look fancy and they look good, and, you know, it's just not wrestling. It's, it's – you're asking the wrong guy because I'm old school. You know, you start me off with, you know, uh, you know, two arm drags and a hip toss and a scoop slam and a heel goes screwing, you know, one of the baby faces in there clapping his hands. I'll take that any day. I need, I need a storyline and I need, I need it to be a wrestling storyline. Um, you know, wrestling is taking a hit and, um, I consider myself to be, an extremely intelligent human being, not just because I went to law school or passed the bar exam. That's not why. Um, but if you took Tito Santana, Jimmy Snuka, Greg Valentine, Sergeant Slaughter, Tony Gurria, George Steele, you take all these guys, Rick Martel, Grab them, bring them in the office, sit them around a production table, and let's get down to wrestling. Okay, let's get rid of Hollywood. Hollywood has no business in professional wrestling. And you know what? Anybody can say what they want about Tony Altamont, but I remember being in the wrestling school, helping him, teaching it in 88, and we were sitting down talking, and he looked at me and he went, <laughs> someday uh, there'll be no more WWF. And I go, what do you mean, T? What are you talking about? He said, well, one day it'll be gone. I go, why? He said, because he wants to make movies. He wants to make movies. And he's making movies, and that's fine. But leave the wrestling business to the wrestlers. Let, you know what? I, you, do you realize how fortunate I was? I learned wrestling psychology from Gorilla Monsoon, from Arnold Scullin, from Chief G. Strongbow, from Pat Patterson, from Terry Garvin, from Harry Fuji, Chief J. Strong, all these people. Look, kid, come here. Tomorrow night you do it this way, and this is why. I was taught the psychology of the wrestling business by the giants. By the, it's like getting, you know, Mickey Mantle going, come on over here, kid. I'm going to teach you how to hit. You know what I mean? It was unbelievable. Yeah. Leave the wrestling to the wrestlers. Leave the story. Well, well I'm going to tell you right now, and I, I, I can't find it on YouTube, but I'll tell you what I do have. I have my original VCR tape that I used that night in 1983. The Magnificent Morocco against Jimmy Snuka in a steel cage. 
I've got, I still have it on tape, and right behind it is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay? <laughs> the, best, the best promo you'll ever see any wrestler do ever is Don Morocco's promo before he went into that cage. I, to this day, I sit there with my mouth open. I've roomed with him. I've traveled with him. He got sick of hearing it. That, that I think that is the best promo that has been ever been cut in the wrestling business. And you know why? Because wrestlers wrote it. Wrestlers were there. Morocco had input. I was there when, when, when wrestlers would do their promos. That was freelance. If Vince didn't like what they said, he, he said, let's cut it again, but say it like this. But he let these guys do their own thing. I was sitting there. I was sitting there eating a WWF wrestling ice cream bar. I was leaning, sitting down with my back up against the wall when Jim Helwig said, the thunder will come down on you because the Dingo Warrior is the ultimate warrior. Vince said, whoa, whoa, what did you just say? He said, uh, the thunder will come down. He said, no, 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 at the end, what did you say? He said, I am the ultimate warrior. He goes, I like that. Let's go with that. That's your name. You know, that's how stuff happened back then. It happened. And we all joked around for three months. Whatever came out of anybody's mouth, we said, I like it. Let's go with it. Because they made fun of Vince. You know, we, I think you couldn't say a word with somebody looking at you going, I like it. Let's go with it. And they really they really got their money's worth out of that. Mm-mm. Mario, I wanted to ask you a quick question. You said that wrestling today is not really wrestling. Do you attribute that to the fact that, you know, back in your time and your day, there were territories to travel around and you could learn different styles and learn from different people? Uh, you know, do you think that's the main reason why wrestling isn't today? Or do you think it's the, because the, I don't think it's the wrestlers themselves. I think if the wrestlers wanted to have more time in the ring, I, I would venture to guess they wanted to do more you know, mechanical stuff as well and really tell a story. Because if you want, I mean, you don't watch much today's product, but they don't have much time to tell a story in three, four, five minutes on TV, whereas opposed to back in your day, you know, you had time to tell a story on television. Do you think that's because the territory system's been gone? Do you think it's the talent? Do you think it's the, the administrative? What, what are your, what's your take on it? Well, I'll tell you, boy, that, that's one hell of an analysis you got there, and I never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, let's face it. Let's really look at it. Um, you know, you had Vern Gagne out there. Vern Gagne in a territory. You had Stu Hart up, up in Canada. You had Florida Championship Wrestling. You had, you had the NWA, the AWA. You, you know, you, you had, you know, Flair and Harley Race and... and yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right because, you know, we all look back at our careers and go, you know what, boy, what a dumb mistake. I wish I had to do it over again. And, you know, and, and, and there were better opportunities back then. I remember in 1990 I was sitting in a dressing room and, and Brett comes and sits next to me. And, he, you know, he bumped his shoulder with mine and he's staring at me. And I go, what? And he's just staring at me. And I go, what do you want? We're not on the board, so what do you want? And he starts laughing. He goes, 
don't you go to Calgary? I go, what? He goes, why don't you go to Calgary? He goes, Mario, get off the TV, man. You're getting killed. You're getting killed. You're never going to get a break. You're getting killed. Go, go to Calgary. I said, you want me, after being here for six years, you want me to go to Calgary. You want me to go up with your father who's going to shake my hand and break my arm. <laughs> There's blood all, all over the walls downstairs. You want me to ride the bus for seven hours with no heat, with blankets and stuff all wrapped around me, to go and make $40 after I've been here for six years. Six years. Now you want me to go to Calgary, live in the house and work farm. Now you want me to go. He just, hey, it was just a suggestion. <laughs> I'm staying right, staying right here. You know what? I look back, and if I can have that moment back, I'd say, gee, Brett, when can I leave? Because of your analysis, I would have went, Dad. I doubt his dad would have treated me like that. Brett would have called him and said, look, he's a six-year veteran. You know, he already went through hell. He already got his nose broken, and his chest split open in battle royals because everybody chopped me like until I turned into chopped meat. I already went through the hell. So, you know, I'm sure things would have been different. The biggest thing is I probably would have honed my skills better. I, I would have had no job. I would have been able to live in the gym all day, you know, and I probably would have came back, back and get a different guy. The only problem I would have had is I really never wanted to let go of Mario Mancini. I really never wanted to, like, I wasn't, I didn't, I probably would have because, you know what, Man, money changes everything. You know, I remember my good friend Dave Barbie who went to wrestling school with us. And you really have to know your stuff if you remember Dave Barbie. Dave Barbie was a massive human being, massive. But he was a good old country boy from Pennsylvania. And he was just a huge power lifter. He could barely move. You look him up on YouTube, you'll see him, right? And Tito Santana spent a lot of time with him trying to loosen him up. And he just had a hard time doing it. Anyway, they approached him and said, will you shave your head and be a Russian? And he went, hell no, I'm not. <laughs> and, I, you know what I mean? He just didn't have that mentality where, you know, it's all it's about the gimmick and the money, you know. Um, but even I would have had a hard time letting go. Like, like uh, you know, Chris was there as a jobber with these one, this big body, black bodysuit on, long hair and a beard, you know. And he was a jobber out there, and his name was Chris Cannon, you know. And, um, you know, he went away, and he got cleaned up, and he shaved his head, and he came back as King Kong Bundy, you know. So, um, you know, and you look back, and, yeah. So that was the territory I would have went to, and it would have been different. And maybe after that, I would have went to Memphis. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would have went where Jerry Lawler was. Maybe I would have went to Florida maybe I would have went to Tennessee and made $60 a night and, you know, traveled 700, 700 miles a week. I don't know. I didn't do it. The last talk show I did, he was kind of astounded. He said, okay, so you turned 18 and then six weeks later you were in the WWF. And I'm like, yeah. And then you left in 92. And I went, yeah. And he went, you didn't go anywhere else. I went, no, <laughs> no. I did the whole eight years right there, and I dabbled in independent shows for a couple of years after that here and there, but nothing big, nothing that took me away, you know. So, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I, I think the territories are gone. All, all the, the 
you know, the magical guys, all those, all those legends, you know, they're, they're kind of just sitting at home clicking the channels right now. And their talent really is going to waste, um, not being in this business, just going, you know, going around to conventions and stuff. And, you know, I, I think, listen, don't get me wrong. When I do click by wrestling and I look at it, I go, wow, I can't do that. Wow. I, I can't do that. And I'm like, wow. I look at a guy like Rey Mysterio and I go, I don't even think no Maskeris did that stuff. You know what I mean? And I, I'm like, wow, holy mackerel. I could never be a wrestler today. You know, guys, you have to think of this. What are you guys going to think yourselves? If you go to a match and Mario Mancini comes out and I'm working with, well, I pick my best friend, uh, Roma, I'm working with Paul Roma. And, you know, I, I take him in a headlock and I take him down and I start wincing the headlock, headlock while we're on the, on the, on the canvas. You know what you're going to hear? Boring. Boring. Come on, guys. Back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, I mean, you know, you could work a whole le- – you could work a leg for 18 minutes. You know what I mean? You could work an arm for 18 minutes. You can't do that today. People are going to want their money back. But that's what professional wrestling did. That's how it evolved. To me, pro wrestling is poison. Yeah, okay. You know what? I'd rather go see a match with a massive, a massive guy. Say like Batista. You know what I want to see Batista do? I want to see him get somebody in a bear hug. That guy's massive, and he's extremely strong. I want to see, and I want to hear Vince McMahon on a microphone saying that he's squeezing the air right out of him. And I want to hear Bruno on the side of him going, he's probably cracking his ribs. I want to see Batista get somebody up in a backbreaker. I want to, you know, I want to see him display his strength. You know, everybody has their own thing. You know, I, I trained Ted Arcidi. I did the best I could. I did the best I could. He was the stiffest guy I've ever seen in my life. Nice guy. Tremendous human being. Just really stiff. 1988, he's the strongest man in the world. Broke Bill Klausmeyer's bench press record. Bench press 705 pounds. So they send him to me to train. And I was his first match. And you know what? You had to do what was meant to be done. You grab Ted's leg. Well, Ted simply just puts his knee up, but you go flying. You get him on the top of his lock, he just throws you down to the canvas like a sack of potatoes. You get him in the full Nelson, he crabs out of it, pulls your arms apart, and just walks away like he's going to get some popcorn. You get him in a headlock, he picks you up, he puts you on the corner turnbuckle, he rests you there like a little baby and gives you a little pat on the face after he does it. Because he's the strongest man in the world. That's psychology. That's taking that guy's body and using it for pro wrestling. That's what you do. That's what you do. And, you know, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, and in all honesty, we've talked about a lot on this show, like that, that, that the psychology a lot of times is, is missing, and it's just a spot after spot. So it, it, great points, great stories. You know, i got to thank you so much for uh, – Given us the time you gave us here tonight, uh, we'd love to have you back on uh, at some point in the future. Again, congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction that's occurring uh, 
this weekend. And uh, I don't. Do you do like personal appearances? Do you have anything you'd like to promote before we let you go? No, I don't. Uh, what I do is, um, you know, if I can appear live with you guys, uh, I do. I do stuff like that. I do it for the love of the business. I don't do it for any money. Uh, I go on uh, Mr. Trivia's uh, show, Top Rope. I I, I go on uh, Center Ring. I go on Squared Circle. I I go on a lot of wrestling talk shows, and and uh, I go there and just to reminisce and and, and tell stories because you know. I was there, and my stories are true, and, and I'm uh, I'm very candid um, when I do interviews, and I, I don't care who knows it. And I appreciate you guys having me on, but when you, you have me on again, I would just love to have a conversation with you about Pat Patterson. Steve we will take, you know what? Let's 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 book that uh, in the not too distant future, and we'll have a oh, conversation. Well, guys, I'll, I will let you know. Anything you want to know, because that's what stunted my career. Wow. And See, now that's how you end an interview. Leave us in suspense. <laughs> Leave everyone wanting more. Thank you so much, and we'll definitely we'll get you on uh, sometime in the, in the near future. Thanks a lot, Mario. All right, guys. Take care. Take it easy. Thank you, Mario. Lots of good stuff. Man, you know, it's interesting because we've talked about uh, in the in-ring psychology and uh, – that sort of thing in the business. And, uh, you know, Mario, putting it right out there, I mean, you know, a guy that uh, he's not pleased with, with the business today. I mean, we're, we're fans. Um, we enjoy the product. We do the show. But we have talked about on the show, you know, the, the in-ring psychology lacking at times. Uh, very pointed in his opinion of today's wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, 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 I wanted to make that point to him because I – I felt that, you know, sometimes some of the talent on TV, and it's in, in no way disrespectful to him, but they get a bad rap. I think there are a lot of talent out there that really want to, to, to tell a story and tell a, 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 an, intricate, an intricate story, you know, in the ring. And, you know, you hear a lot of interviews nowadays with guys that, are, you know, are on the indie scene that were in WWE, and they talk about how difficult it is to tell a story in a three- or four-minute match on television with WWE, the way that it's structured now, the way that wrestling or sports entertainment is. So, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's interesting to hear his side of it because he comes from a different era. And, and, and just the stories they told, it was absolutely awesome. And, you know, I'm looking forward to when he comes back to hear, you know, some stuff that he's got to talk about concerning Pat Patterson. And you, and you I mean, you, great question. Eye-opening. You hit the nail on the head. It's, it's the lack of the uh, territories. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't have a whole lot. I mean, guys are, you know, wrestling, you know, wrestling schools help. You know, there's a lot of them out there. Some of them are really good, and there are some that are just god-awful, and these guys are just stealing wrestlers' money. Uh, but, you know, there isn't a whole lot of territories where you've got guys that learn from each other. I mean, guys that bounced around from territory to territory always learned something. That's why, in my opinion, a lot of people, you know, feel, including myself, that Ric Flair was the greatest in-ring performer of all time because he wrestled practically everywhere, and he, I'm sure he learned from people. A lot of the guys that are, were very successful in the heyday came from the territories, and they learned something everywhere. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, it's different ballgame in, in the wrestling business nowadays. So it's, you just got to, you know, take it for what it is and, and, and enjoy it, and that's what I do. I'm, I don't tend to be so critical of, uh, you know, every little thing that happens in wrestling nowadays. 
Very not interesting. Saying that Mancini, Victor Mancini was uh, by any means. And it's amazing, like you know, when you go and look up his career. I mean, it really is a who's who. I mean, to be able to sit there and talk, you know. I mean, I honestly, we could have sat here for hours. So, what was it like to be in the ring with Mister Perfect? What was it like to be in the ring with Rick Rude? What was it like to be in the ring? With, I mean, it's a who's who as far as the history of wrestling. We'll definitely get him on. One person we got to thank who uh, helped us with that uh, connection is Mister Trivia, who uh, gave us uh, Mary Mancini, and he is on the line right now. Mister Trivia, how are you doing this this wonderful evening? What would you like to talk about? Hey, guys, awesome interview. I listened to the whole thing. I mean, I've heard those stories before, but I was glad he was able to get them out there and talk to the fans and talk to you guys. Mario is just a tremendous, tremendous individual and couldn't ask for a better guy to go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but, it was good uh, stuff. Yeah, I'd like you know, to... Guy, good. Uh, no, a guy, you know, I mean, it's not a guy that you, you know, jumps out at you as far as, like, the, the history of wrestling, but a guy, you know, definitely very well-spoken, uh, Knows the business, knows uh, the history of the business, and uh, you know it's, it was a real honor to, to speak with him. And it's great, you know, to see a guy like him uh, being honored going into the Hall of Fame. And again, thank you for the the contact. But what would you like to speak on? Uh, yeah, I would like to talk to uh, to you guys about this uh, Damian Sandow thing. I mean, what what seems to be going on with this? I mean, they trying to give him a new character, they're going to release him. I mean, what's going on? It just seems like kind of ridiculous right now. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you bring up a really good point. It's a really good question. I don't know. And, and Dave, it was funny because, you know, Dave, you texted me today about Sandow, and it really, it's just, I mean, you, you start to get the feeling that, I, I, I don't know, did he, did he say that, you know, hey, Stephanie, you look fat in that outfit? I mean, did he, did he do something backstage to piss someone off, but uh, a guy that you just looked at as, you know, maybe not a, a consistent, bona fide main eventer, but a guy that was making his way up the card, I, I mean, I have no words, Dave. I mean, he started off really strong, uh, you know, when he, came, when he debuted in 2012, and then last year, he won money in the bank, and he had a, a, a very strong showing. Uh, in his match with John Cena, and it didn't make him look, it didn't make his character look weak in any way, shape, or form. Um, and to me, that signaled that, all right, they have some plans with him. Uh, now, you don't know what they're going to do with him. He comes out doing something stupid every week. He's acknowledging that he's being handcuffed. So I think that they're trying to, you know, blur the lines between fiction and reality with this character to the point where something's going to happen, whether he quits on TV or if they change his character up or if it's going to result in some kind of a push that he's eventually going to get, I think they're going to, I think that's the route that they're going in. But, you know, he was, he was scheduled. The, the rumors were he was scheduled to win the world heavyweight title after he won the money in the bank. And, uh, you know, they kind of pulled, they, you know, pulled the rug out from under him. And WWE has a tendency to do that with guys that they, that they're very high on, that they want to push. Um, they'll, they'll push him to the moon at first and then they'll kind of pull it back to see how they handle themselves, and if they're if they're if they're keepers, if they're going to stay, they don't want somebody pulling a you know a Brock Lesnar, like what happened with Brock Lesnar, you know, over ten years ago. So um, I do see bright things for him. He can talk, he can work. I, I liked his gimmick. I liked when he came out with the robe and the towel, and he would you know try and you know smarten people up with the intelligent words. I thought that was good stuff. I don't know why they didn't continue doing that. They kind of gave him a little bit of an edge 
which I do remember saying on, on one of the shows last year, he needed a slight edge to his character to make him a believable main eventer. And I think they kind of overdid it. And then for whatever reason, they pulled the rug out from under him. And now he's just, he's become a, a, a comedy act. And I, I, I think it's going to eventually lead to something more serious with him. I just don't, I don't think they know what direction it's going in just yet. Yeah, that's that's true too, and I agree with you there, Dave. Yeah, I'm just talking to Mario now. We're talking about the Pat Patterson thing, and you know it's going to be interesting when he calls you and talks about that because his feeling with Pat Patterson is he wouldn't throw water on him if he was on fire. But uh, he'll get into that with you before. I'm surprised he also didn't mention his, mention his alter ego before when he used to wrestle under the name of Fracture Fransberg. But uh, other than that, yeah, <laughs> excuse me, guys, did you hear something about? Uh, possibilities of 2015 Hall of Fame was uh, possibly Macho Man going in and Kevin Nash. Yeah, I reported on the on the Day 5 News report. You weren't listening, or were you giving somebody the figure four leg lock? <laughs> no, I was, I, I was working on a figure four leg lock. You know, I haven't perfected uh, it like Miz has yet, right, Ken? <laughs> but, uh, all right, guys, hey, thanks a lot. I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the interview with Mario. You guys are doing a great job. More and more every week. You're getting better and better every week, and I look forward to listening to you all the time. And, guys, we'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot, Mr. Trivia. Talk to you soon. All right, take care. Let's just keep going. You know, honestly, whatever you guys want to talk about, and you guys, you know, we a couple calls dropped off. We apologize. You know, just Mario was giving us some good stories. We had to keep him on. So, uh you know, we'll be sure we'll get to you next week. We saw a couple on hold, so just bring it and bring it strong. We got Tony on the line. Tony, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. What's going on, guys? What do you got? It was, oh, well, it was a very lengthy interview that you had there with Mario Mattin. It was, kind of, it was pretty interesting, you know, just hearing about what we started talking about back in the, you know, how backstage was like back in those days. But, uh, you know, I do agree, you know, it's like the whole wrestling business or whatever you want to call it being overly, you know, you know Vince does tend to, I mean, and I know it's been for years, you know, he's been overly, uh, you know, scripting everything, you know, because he wanted to make movies and all that stuff. And it's, you know, I mean, I mean, to a degree, you know, to a degree, I think, you know, he's, he's you know, he brought up a good point, you know, where it was like back in the day, back then, you know, it's like you could, you could bring up or, or, you know, it's like you could just like how the ultimate warrior just said his, said the name or whatever backstage and it was just like, okay, let's go with it. Like, you know, it's the same, you know, it's, uh, you know, and guys could say whatever they want. They could play off the crowd and everything and, you know, that kind of stuff. Now it's like everything's so overly scripted because Vince is so obsessed with the, oh, I'm so the movie making and, you know, whatever and it's, you know, even like you said, the matches are, you know, it's like on like on Raw or whatever. It's like sometimes they could be a little, you know, they're not bad. You know, so sometimes, like you say, you know, it's hard to tell a story in the amount of time that they got. Although Raw being three hours, I got plenty of time. But even, you know, like, I, I think, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if like the wrestling business is like really like, you know, you know like dead or if they, you know, whatever, you know. Because uh, it's like, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, like, D&D wrestling, I mean, you know, we both at the House of Hardcore, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, like, Ring of Honor in New Japan, I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys in there that can really, that can really put on awesome matches, you know, so it's, um, you know, so like I said, it, it's, you know, the wrestling business, I mean, sure, sure, it's going to be different, it's been, you know, it's been 30 years, 30, 40 years, so, but it's, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, the whole psychology bit versus the spots or whatever. I mean, me, for me, you know, it's like, hey, a good match is a good match. I don't care if you're doing acrobatics or what you're doing. I mean, it's just, it's, it, you know, it's just, that's a, that's a style of wrestling. 
you know, that's, that's a certain form of wrestling that guys can do. Yeah, it's a good point, and, and to a certain extent, and I guess that, that might be part of it with, with uh, you know, the indie scene, like you're saying, you know, I, you know, I love Anthony Nice, and I think Anthony Nice is like one of the, the, the best, if not the best athlete out there right now. Um, you know, his matches, you know, it's like you're saying, you know, he puts on great matches. Sometimes on the indie scene, because it's not on TV, and there's you're not watching promos, and, and see, there, there isn't a storyline, or there's not much of a storyline, and so the psychology's not there, and it is, it's just a a match that you just kind of marvel at uh, how physically gifted uh, a performer is. Um, so, I mean, there, there is that. I do see what Mario's saying because there, there is a certain amount of storytelling that I think uh, you do see lacking uh, out, of, out of some of the younger guys. But some of the guys get it. I'm, I'm kind of hoping, you know, with, with some of the promo work that perhaps as, as Triple H uh, gets more and more involved, maybe we see a little bit less uh, with the scripting and a little bit more of letting guys just kind of, you know, be given bullet points. Say, all right, go get your point across, but these are the things you have to hit in your promo. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the problem is these guys aren't actors. You know, when you give them a script, it's going to come off as, as mechanical for the vast majority of them. So, you know, again, we're still fans, and like you're saying, you know, a good match is a good match, and I'll enjoy the match for what it is. But at the same time, I, I definitely hear what he's saying as far as the psychology goes. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of do too. You know, like I say, you know, it's like I, I, as far as like the matches, you know, like the psychology or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm, obviously, you know, I've never been in the ring. I'm, I'm just a fan, so you know, it's like I wouldn't really pick up on, you know, I don't really pick up on the whole psychology of that, of it, that you know, as well as, as well as someone like Ken would. But uh, you know, it's, you know, like I said, it's, you know, something else. You know, like sometimes, you know, it's like if you see, you know, like if you see a good match, like on the indie scene or, or you know, like in uh, New Japan or whatever. Sometimes it's like, you know. Sometimes you don't need a story. You know, sometimes you don't necessarily need a storyline to have a match. You know, it's just like uh, you know, it's, you get two, you got two guys in the ring or whatever. You know, are having a great match, and it's just like you know, it doesn't you know, like doesn't need necessarily need to be a storyline behind. You know, like fact every, you know, every everything. You know, because you could just you could just have two guys that are like a Tony Nese or whatever, and and, and, and you know, one. And uh, and Alex Reynolds and you know they could just have a match or whatever and uh, and uh, you know it, it would be great you know it's a great match. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's probably what you know works a little bit better when it comes to uh, you know going to see it live. Tony, I hate to cut you off now, but we're, we're running short sure. on time. We want to get to uh, got one more caller on hold. But uh, thank you so much. We'll definitely give the callers more time next week uh, to make sure everyone gets their point across. So hopefully it's a kick-ass raw tonight, and there's lots of stuff to talk about. It'll be all about the callers next week. So uh, talk to you then. Thanks a lot for the call, Tony. Uh, no problem. Take it easy. And let's keep it with the phones. We got Anthony on the line. Anthony, how you doing this evening? Good. How you guys doing? Doing all right. What do you got for us? Awesome interview. Uh, as everybody said, uh, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun listening to it. Quick, you know, it, for for as long as it was, it went by pretty quickly. So I enjoyed that. But I was uh, thinking uh, when you guys were talking about, um, you know, the storytelling and the short matches on Raw. And it kind of brought me back to what we spoke about uh, a couple weeks ago, where I've been kind of enjoying SmackDown more lately because we're getting good quality matches on SmackDown. You know, like this week, this is our uh, Sheamus match I thought was really good, which that program I'm really enjoying. And uh, the main event was great with Ambrose and uh, Bray Wyatt, things like that. So maybe, I mean, I don't know if he's just watching Raw, but it seems like Raw is like promos and quick matches and, you know, 
they advertise the main event and it starts at 10 of 11, you know, you're not, you know you're not getting much of a match, but, you know, you get a good 15-minute main event on SmackDown, and I think it adds to that program. Yeah, it's a good point. I guess, you know, part of it is once you see the, you know, for, for Mario, once you see the, the psychology kind of decline, if you're not watching it on a regular basis, like anything, it's tough to pick up the positive and the negative. And if you have an opinion, you know, yeah, I do think SmackDown is becoming, you know, it's almost like Raw does whatever it can to, to facilitate storylines, give you a lot of backstage stuff, give you a lot of promo stuff. And then SmackDown is giving you uh, some quality matches. Um you know, but I hear what he's saying. Like some, sometimes you just you want a strong guy to put someone in a bear hug, and I think that's, and, and it, it, it's become cyclical. Like the crowds will get bored if you do that, so you have to like it's you know the rest like just the business has changed so much that it, it's a catch twenty two. You can't really go back to that style because, like he said, then the crowd's going to be chanting boring. So if you just go to like a spot fest, then you're running into like oh we're eliminating the psychology. So it's it's a tough spot. It's the way the business has evolved. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, we see kind of an amalgam where guys start to embrace a little bit uh, more of the psychology uh, while giving us the, the exciting spots. I think that's, that, at least for me, I think that's what I liked a lot about Daniel Bryant. He was a, a high-energy guy that uh, still kind of got the psychology aspect of things, and there was an ebb and flow to his matches. that I'd never, I never watched a Daniel Bryant match thinking, this is a spot fest. Um, yep. So, you know, hopefully, and Triple H in charge uh, will help us move in the right direction. Tony, uh, thanks, thanks for giving us a call again. We're running short on time. I, I think we're gonna next week will just be uh, all about the, the callers. So, uh, give us a call next week. Thanks for the call, and then uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, guys, take care. I'll talk to you next week. Peace, man. Right, thanks, and thanks again, you guys that were out there who, who stayed on hold. We apologize again. Uh, Mario has given us such great stories. We wanted to keep them on. We will get you next week. We got no one booked for next week's show, so we will get you on next week. And we'll have a lot of stuff to analyze. We got about 20 seconds left, Dave. Thank you to Mario. Great stuff. Great point by you, Dave. Absolutely, I enjoyed myself. Going back in history in the business, nothing wrong with that. I, I, I love turning the page, and I'll do it again. Do we see? Oh. Tonight on Raw, who knows? We will dissect it next week at 6.30. For Dave, I am Ken. Enjoy Raw. Good night, everybody.